Merry Christmas. It must have been absolutely terrifying for those shepherds that night. They were literally scared, what we used to say, shitless, because your mouth actually can dry up when you're that scared. It's a technical term, scared shitless. Why did the angels announce the birth of the Son of God to a bunch of shepherds? Shepherds in that day were considered kind of among the lowest of the socioeconomic strata. You did not want your daughter to date a shepherd. Everybody thought they were better than shepherds. The shepherds were not important. But, you know, God doesn't always agree with everybody. I hope that's something that will come through tonight. I think the angels appeared to the shepherds so that we would know that God thinks that everyone is valuable. No matter how young you are, how old you are, or how healthy you are, or how smart you are, or how successful you are, everyone is more important to God than we can imagine. You are more important to God than you can possibly realize. Now, more than nine months before these shepherds saw these angels, an angel had appeared to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and told her that she was going to bear the Son of God, give birth to the Son of God. And now, Mary was a, a wonderful person, but she was just a poor teenager in a little town called Nazareth that nobody thought anything good could come out of. So nobody would have thought that Mary was very important. But God did. I hope that tonight you will be sensing whatever God is saying to you. That, like Pastor Ben said, beyond all of the wonderful nostalgia and music and everything, you will actually be trying to sense what God's saying because I believe God's trying to tell you that you're really important. He loves you. The, the Holy Spirit supernaturally made Mary pregnant. Her fiancé, Joseph, thought that she was cheating on him. Everybody thought that. But an angel told him in a dream that it was from the Holy Spirit that he should go ahead and take her as his wife and that the child would be Emmanuel, God with us. We're not talking tonight about just a human being born in a manger. We're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. God the Son, divine Son of God, taking on flesh and becoming human. Now, the Roman government wanted to count all the people in their empire, and so everybody had to go to their hometown. And Joseph's hometown was Bethlehem, but they lived in the north in Nazareth. And so he took his wife Mary, they were now married, and they went down to Bethlehem. And it was a several days of journey, and she was very pregnant. And when they got there, lots of people were traveling because of the census. There's no room for them anywhere in any of the rooms where the travelers stayed. And so they stayed with the animals. And either like a barn or a, a cave that's kind of been closed in in the front. And Mary gives birth to, Joseph, to Jesus, and he's put in a manger, a place where you would put where the cows and the donkeys would eat their food, kind of like putting your baby in if you had a really big dog in your dog tray, you know, your dog dish. Wouldn't probably want to do that. Um, a little better than a dog dish. But but again, being born in a barn surrounded by animals and then placed in a manger shows that there was nobody really saying, oh, this baby's important. Except for God. The most important baby 
ever born. Now that night the angel told the shepherds about the Lord being born as a baby. They went to Bethlehem, found Jesus with his family, and told them what the angels had said. It must have been very encouraging to Joseph and Mary. By now, three times God had sent angels to tell them who this was and why he was so important. That would be encouraging because soon after that, an angel is going to tell them, run, because King Herod's going to try and kill him. And King Herod does kill a lot of babies in the area, but Joseph is warned in a dream by an angel and they go to Egypt, probably Alexandria, lots of Jews in Alexandria in that day. And a few years later, when the king dies, they come back and they settle in Nazareth. And that's where Jesus grows up. And many years go by, and probably Joseph, the father, dies when Jesus is relatively young because Jesus stays around till he's 30 and we don't hear about Joseph again. So that's what people kind of think happens. But then at 30, Jesus starts his public ministry and he travels around that area teaching people about God, healing people of every disease, every kind of thing that they might have, and casting demons out, real evil spirits that would cast out of people that were ruining people's lives. He had big crowds following him, thousands. 5,000 more. And yet he picked for his closest followers, his disciples, a bunch of people that everybody else thought, why would you pick them? They're fishermen or they're tax collectors. Nobody else would have thought they were important. But God did. Now, Jesus never did anything wrong. We all do something wrong. He never did anything wrong. But the religious leaders were very angry with him, probably intimidated by him, and they arranged for him to be killed by the Romans on a cross. But then Jesus conquered death. He rose from the dead, and he's still alive today. See, all of this, even even his death on a cross, from the manger to the cross, it was all part of God's plan to rescue you. To rescue the people that are very, very important to him. He wanted to offer you a life that is better than you can possibly imagine. A life that starts now and goes on into eternity. But why why would people need to be rescued? You might not feel like you need to be rescued. You might feel like, I don't need to be rescued. Well, over here, we've got my props. For thousands of years, for the vast majority of human history, human beings have done what we call worship idols. They would take logs like this. They'd carve faces into them. I didn't want to actually put an idol in here. Um, this is to represent, remind you. Uh, and they would carve a face into it, and that, and that face would represent some god that they believed in, and then they would worship the idol, really worshiping the god it stood for. And sometimes it would be the god of the harvest. So they would, they would try and bargain with the god and, and do sacrifices and pay off so they get a good harvest. Or the god of war, and they'd pay him off so that they could win the war. And that's, that's the way it has, was for most of human history. Now, today in America, we, we don't see people bowing down to idols, pretty much. Uh, but we have idols. We have idols. Idols are things we love too much. Idols are things that are too important to us. Idols are things that we base our identity on. You see, we needed to be rescued because the idols keep us from loving God well. They keep us from the, this amazing, abundant life God has for us. They'll even destroy us or at least make us worse. Worse. Columnist 
uh, Cynthia Hemel knew a lot of famous movie stars in New York before they became famous. She knew them when they were clerks at Macy's or a cashier at the movie theater. And then their idol of becoming a star came true. And when they received what they idolized, she says they actually became more angry, more unhappy, more unstable, more neurotic. We'll put it on screen. This is what she says. The giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, make their lives bearable and fill them with happiness, had happened. And the next day they woke up and they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. Quite a turn of the phrase, isn't it? See, the problem with idols, whether it's success in sports or success in some career or, or finding a spouse or just having a wonderful family, the problem with idols is they will always let you down. They will demand that you sacrifice for them and in the end they will not fulfill you. They can't satisfy also, anything that you idolize can be lost. What if you idolize your family? A lot of people do that today. Oh, we're going to do anything for our family. Just family. You can lose them. What about your, 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 your money, your success? Your, you can lose it. And so when your idol is something like that, you worry. Idols, and that worry actually makes them the worst person. Sometimes idols can even destroy you. There was a man on the East Coast who... Um, Became a, he always wanted, his goal was, his, his idol was to become a very powerful politician. And he succeeded, and he became rich and powerful. And, but he found that the idol, once he had it, wasn't really nurturing his soul. It wasn't satisfying. And he developed, um, in secret, he ended up developing some, uh, some bad habits, activities, some things involving uh, sex and drugs. And, and it, this happens in a lot of fields of endeavor, not just politics, but lots of things. People get super successful. They reach that goal, that thing that they were idolizing, and they just find that it doesn't satisfy. And they often get in trouble. Now, when this politician's secrets were revealed, he lost everything, including his wife and his family. But even before he lost everything, he wasn't at peace. He wasn't feeling loved and fulfilled. But after he lost everything, he came to his senses. And he realized what this idol had done to him, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he got involved in a really good church. And after a couple of years, he went and he talked to his pastor. Uh, and he says that although he'd lost everything he had idolized, for the first time in his life, he felt deeply loved and truly happy. See, in the Bible, God's made it really clear that we're not to love anything more than Him. That would just damage us, damage the people around us. God says, you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How do we know if something is an idol? When we love something more than we love God, it's, it's become an idol. When... We pay lip service to God, but something that we love and it, it's, help, it's making us neglect God, then it's an idol. Now, what are some of the idols people have today? I just, to just kind of remind us as we think about this today, 
I, I put some representative things of modern-day idols. This would be the representative of the old style. But, you know, some people, it's just they've got to have a house, or they've got to have a house in the right school district or the right place or the big enough house or a, the better house or, 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 or a car or, or, you know, maybe it's beauty. Maybe it's really... A lot of girls grew up with Barbies, you know, and, and there's always the old standby money and all that it buys. Sports. All the things we dreamed about as children. Some people, it's how many likes they get on their Facebook or how many people are following them on Instagram or for lots of people, it's their family today. You take that away and... Do you serve anything that is causing you to neglect God? You know, our natural tendency is to love some things too much. The famous theologian John Calvin said that the heart is an idol factory. And so without God's supernatural help, all of us will have idols. Even with His help, we will struggle with this most of this life. So the reason Jesus came and was born in a manger was to rescue us from loving other things too much because that is our tendency. This represents our hearts. For most of most people today, most people throughout history, their heart is over here with their idols, with the things that they love more than God. The things that they worship. Christmas is about God coming to earth. The manger represents that. But it's not just about a manger because the reason He comes is to die on a cross to pay for our sins and rise again and conquer death so that He can offer us forgiveness and life forever. So yeah, He comes and He dies and He rises again. He did that because He cares about you. What He did in between the manger and the cross is that He walked among us and He actually showed us what God is like. Have you ever read the Gospels? Have you ever read and seen the amazing things that Jesus does and just how beautiful He is and how generous and gracious and what? That's God in the flesh. And part of why He did that was so that we would see Him and we would be attracted that it would woo and win our hearts. He wants us to give, us, give Him our hearts. He wants to be the center of our lives. Now, there are a lot of people today, very popular in America, kind of a, it's, it's sort of new, it's been coming for several decades, but most people in America don't think that God really wants to be the center of their life. What they think is, oh, there's a God and He wants you to be nice. And, you know, then you're just kind of free to pursue whatever you think is going to make you happy. And God's kind of like the fire department. Just call him when you're in trouble. He doesn't really want to be the center. And people who think like this almost always usually, almost always end up loving some idol much more than God. You are much more important God than you can possibly realize. And He has gone to all of this, a manger, a cross, walking with us for 30 plus years so that you would want to love Him most. 
He wants to love you and be loved by you, not to be like the fire department that you just call when you're in trouble. He wants to talk with you throughout the day. He wants to give you the very best life. Now, this is a fallen world, so no matter whether you choose to pursue idols or you choose to walk with Jesus, you are going to experience some pain. But when you walk with Jesus, He goes through it with you and He uses all of it to transform you. He really wants you to be truly happy forever. But He knows that if you love something else, you can't possibly do it. You have to love Him most of all. This is the best kind of life to live. It has deep meaning where we learn to love God and then He helps us to love other people better. We don't stop working or studying in school or or anything else when we love Him first, but it gives it all meaning and He actually helps us to do it more wisely. See, no one thought that the shepherds or Mary or the disciples that Jesus chose were important. But God disagreed. And I don't know what you feel about yourself tonight. Maybe life's dealt you a difficult hand. Maybe you don't feel that important. But I'm here to tell you, you are so much more important than you can possibly imagine today. And if you have some idol that is working you, that you love too much, you are breaking his heart. He not only knows it's not going to satisfy you and may crush you destroy you, it will at least make you a worse person. But also, He misses you. He wants to have a relationship with you. You're that important to Him. God's gift to you this Christmas is Himself. A relationship with Him is what He wants to give you. It is the best gift ever given. It ends up costing Him everything. His hope is that you will decide in exchange to give him yourself. If you've, if you've never given your life to God, never been involved in this kind of stuff, it may, that may be kind of nebulous. A good analogy is a marriage. When a man and a woman get married, they promise to be faithful to each other. They promise to love each other in a way that they're not going to love anybody else. They spend time together. They, they communicate well with each other. They they serve each other, and, and as they spend time together, they, they rub off on each other. I, I, when, when Janice got married, people didn't think she'd survive. Um, but, 40, but 40 years later, I'm just so grateful that she's rubbed off on them. I'm a much better person for it. And many of you have said the same thing about your marriage. And similarly, when we turn our lives over to Jesus, we, we spend time with Him. We, we work together. We serve together. We talk together. We, and He rubs off on us. And we become more like Him. doesn't mean you won't have a job or study hard. It just means that He'll do it with you. He wants to spend time with us and rub off on us. You are so important to Him that He did all of this so you could have a relationship with Him. See, idols can't deeply satisfy. They'll ultimately keep you from loving God well. They'll ultimately disappoint you. God wants to love you and give you the best, most fulfilling life forever that is possible. Don't settle for a life that some idol offers. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Christmas, this manger is about God coming so that you could know that He loves you and you could love Him back. I want you to help me for a moment and take out the little card that's in your bulletin. It's a picture of sort of like a present that we give at Christmas. And on the front it says, To Jesus. It's got a ribbon there. Now, whether you are here, and I know many of you have been following Jesus for decades, and some of you may have never turned your life over to Him, I want to just give you a few moments. We're going to, in a minute, we're going to have a few moments of silence. I want you just to think about the things that tempt you to love them more than God. Things that want to be your idols. And I want you to decide whether or not you want to leave your heart here or you want to bring it over here and give your heart to Jesus. It's that simple. That's what He wants. And you may be ready for that. You may not be. So just to help you concentrate, would you just help help me by closing your eyes and, and just bowing your head and just think about it. And imagine that you've got a gift for Jesus in your hands and you're deciding what you're going to give Him. He wants you to give Him yourself. Would you listen and silently sense what He's saying to you? Holy Spirit, please come and speak to each one now. Father God, we thank You for sending Your Son. We thank You for sending Jesus to rescue us from loving anything more than You. Please fill each person here with Your Spirit. Don't let anyone leave without sensing Your your love, how important You think they are. Please give each one the power to remember and follow up on whatever they've given you tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite the ensemble back at this time. And while they're coming up, I would encourage you to keep this. You can right now, while the ensemble is getting set, you can write down what you're giving to God and sign it. And then I'd take it home and put it someplace where you'll see it every day. Maybe the, the mirror in your bathroom. Maybe the dash of your car. Uh, maybe as a bookmark. But you, you want to be reminded each day, whatever it is that you gave to Jesus this Christmas. And if you gave Him yourself and you're not accustomed all this churchy stuff, I would recommend two things. Get involved in a really good church where you'll be in a small group where you'll get to serve and love together and see how that's done. And then secondly, set a time on your calendar. It's best if it's the same time and place every day or often in the morning where you're just going to talk to God and read a bit of the Bible. Maybe start out with five minutes, work up to ten Jesus wants to talk with you and to you. I hope you'll do those things.